0: my team yeah we off the leash, the leash. you could look us in the eyes see we have and black and
1: gold that's the colors when we go to war oh, wow. when we step up on that field you going hear my roar we them tiger cats we them we them tiger cats we them tiger cats we them we them tiger cats yeah, nobody hitting harder yeah. better keep your guard up yeah. Welcome to Podsky Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith.
0: And I'm Mike Graham.
1: Mike, we got a good one today. A lot of stuff to talk about. So let's just jump right into it. No reason to have us a, a chit-chat about things that don't matter. So we're going to start with the news today. And uh, the big one is obviously that Bo Levi Mitchell has once again been placed on the six-game injured list. This time with a fractured leg suffered on the second-to-last play against the Ottawa Redblacks last Friday. The team released a statement on social media that read, and I quote Hamilton Tiger Cats quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell suffered an injury to his lower right leg Friday night in Ottawa and has been placed on the six game injured list. He is expected to make a full recovery with a return later this season after his six game injury assignment. I don't really want to relitigate the decision to have him out there for the QB sneak with 13 seconds left. If you're listening to this and want our unfiltered and, quite frankly, uncensored thoughts on that, we have uploaded the full version of our most recent postgame show. We're live, pal. On our podcast feed, it went up as we were recording this on Monday earlier today. So if you're listening to the show and subscribe to the show on any of your pro- podcast platforms, it is there for you as well. The first probably 10 to 15 minutes of a Friday show was just us ranting. I think Mike was actually a little calmer than I was. I dropped a few F-bombs, but we basically talked about what we thought about the idea of Bo running that play, getting hurt. So we don't want to get into that again, but however, based on this timeline, assuming he has to be on the six game list for the entire six games, he would be eligible to return in week 16 when the Ticats take on the Toronto Argonauts at BMO field. So as I said, don't want to get into another debate about what happened. So we have to kind of get past that. Like, you know, despite my proclamations in the past, I'm not Superman. I can't reverse the Earth's rotation. Mike can't either. So we can't make the injury not happen. We we are where we are. Bo is going to miss the next six games. But with this statement, Mike, it certainly feels like the Ticats, based on what we saw on Friday night, have dodged a major bullet here, no?
0: Yeah, you'd have to think so. Even with the way that Bo Levi-Mitchell has been playing this season, you know, the five interceptions last game, the not very impressive first two games he played before he got injured the first time, I still think that you need, we need him. We do. And if we can get him back with five or six games left on the season, you know, we could still make a run there. He could still get acclimated to this offense properly with, you know, enough games before the playoffs happened, uh, happened. So I think it's a, obviously it's a very good thing. I'm not sure that we can win a Grey Cup with Matthew Shields or Powell, even with Taylor Powell, you know, looking good in his first game. And Matthew Shields having his, uh, you know, his time in this offense where he looked productive and looked like a guy who could lead us to victories. I still think we need Bo Levi Mitchell to be a contender this season. So to have him back, I thought he was going to be done, you know, the way that he went down, the way that he looked like. He was in so much pain, it looked like a season ending injury, so to to only be six games is a is a pretty big relief,
1: yeah, and it's I know we talked about this on friday it's such it was such a weird game from him too, because outside of those five interceptions, the numbers were pretty good. He throws for like three hundred and fifty something yards he throws two touchdowns, and you could see some of them were bad throws, most of them were bad throws. there were a couple that were maybe missed. Like One especially, I think the the fifth one came off of, uh, I think it was Tim White's hands and deflected into a defender's hands. But it was such a weird game to kind of like grade Bow on because you throw five picks and you're like, well, that's terrible. But then he had some throws that looked really good. He made some plays. He made a couple of plays with his feet. Oddly enough, there was a, a scramble there and he would escape the pocket and make some throws like it was such a bizarre game and it felt as if he hasn't looked good in the three games he's played this year, but I feel like that's a product of not having time with enough time with these guys. Like we talk about all the time training camp in the preseason is not long enough, but now this is putting him further back. So I don't think we're really going to see good bow. Like I don't know if we'll ever see good bow again. Like it's entirely possible that he is cooked and that that's independent of the injuries that he suffered. Like, it's entirely possible that he's just done as a top flight CFL quarterback. And you know, he's in his mid thirties that happens, but I think a lot of the issues that he's had with the team has been chemistry building because he hasn't had a chance to be in it. Like maybe this five interception game comes in week three, if he's healthy and now we're kind of rolling with him at, I, I just, I agree with you with your sentiment that this, I don't think this team can win a championship without Bo, but I'm not sure if the bow we saw, I mean, I won't even say I'm not sure. I know that the bow we've seen so far could not have led this team to a championship either. So again, yeah. I'm not saying that the injury is a busting in disguise or anything. Like that. That's an idiotic thing to say. If you're out there saying something like that, you're a moron. But I just don't know if I, 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 I'm not going to write the year off because we're, you know, six points. There are three teams in the East have six points. They're a half game back in Montreal who they play this week. It's not a, it's not a time to say like, well, the season's over. But at the same time, it just – it hasn't felt at all this year like this team was a championship contender like we thought they'd be at the start of the year,
0: you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. You mentioned Bolivar's performance. And watching that game, it's like – you, I kind of felt like he's getting better in this offense. You know what I mean? Even with the, the five interceptions, was, which was terrible. You know, you can't throw that many interceptions. Everyone knows that. But I felt like he was more comfortable in the offense. I felt like he moved – this offense better than what he's done in the previous two games when he got in there. So maybe all he needs is a little time to play with this team and then we'll see some good results. But obviously with the injury, it's going to, it's going to take a little bit more time for him to get, you know, really comfortable in this offensive scheme.
1: Yeah. I know what you're saying. Like, especially in that first half, they were moving. I mean, the the first interception he threw was, Near, like they were, they drove on that. It was the first or second drive of the game. They were, I think it was the first drive of the game actually, because there was that giant uh, weather delay. They drove down the field and they were in scoring position. And then he missed a couple of throws over the. Like it just, it felt like the, like I said, the chemistry's not there. And if that, that would have come with time. And unfortunately now, he's gonna miss. He's already missed four. Likely now to miss six. So he's gonna miss more than half the season. So it seems as if it's, um, it's probably not in the cards this year. But it does give me a glimmer of hope maybe going into the off season when this team inevitably gets bounced in, in one of the semifinals or the, or the finals, or maybe they get lucky catch lightning in a bottle and get to the great cup. I just don't know looking at this team now, what we've seen from if they're a championship team, but I mean, you get into the playoffs and anything can happen. We all know that instead of going over kind of the ground that we've already covered with this, even though we just kind of did it there, I want to kind of talk about what the tie cats could do at QB while Bo is away. I've seen some comments on social media that the Titans should go after a veteran quarterback. A couple suggestions that they should try to lure B- McLeod Bethel-Thompson here amongst the regular gaggle of trade for this veteran backup from another team as if teams... I even heard
0: Dane it- Evans. You think, you think Dane Evans would be interested in coming back? I did see that back.
1: too.
0: I'm like, yeah. what? No, no. Why- no.
1: Dane Evans is starting for the Lions because Vernon Adams is hurt. Why would they trade him? And we've seen yeah. Trevor Harris go down, and we've seen... Like Cody Fajardo is going to get, we saw him kind kind of get nicked up on Sunday night. He's probably going to get hurt at some point this year, just his style of play and and that and just getting hit so often. Ottawa's gone through what four starting quarterbacks this year. They're on their fourth starting quarterback now. Like Edmonton, I mean, their their quarterback situation just because the team's bad. But we've seen multiple teams already go to a secondary option. No team is trading their their good backup quarterback to Hamilton to help them out. I just, I always see those those trade ideas. And yeah, Dane Evans is ridiculous, but I always see those trade ideas. And it's like, why would another team be willing to part with, to make an, I it just, it never makes
0: sense to me. They're but, in the dumper, maybe, like if the season was over yeah. for that team, maybe. But we're so early in the season, like, and Dane Evans would never even... Entertain the idea of coming back to the Hamilton Tiger Cats after what happened with him and the and the bitter feelings. So yeah, that was well, a and, bit ridiculous.
1: What and so we can come back here and then start and the second Bo's healthy, he's back on the yeah. bench again. Like uh, no, he, I, he can accept that role in BC because he wasn't anointed the guy. Like they BC yeah. hasn't lost didn't lose faith in him and he was number two. The Tie Cats did, but I'm gonna ask you what you would do if you were put in charge of the Ticats and you had to make the decision on what to do a quarterback, not what the team will do because I think we know what their plan will be, but what would you do if you were in charge of Hamilton right now and you had to decide what to do with the quarterback situation while Bo is out?
0: I'd I'd ride with the guys we have. I mean, I don't see a situation where we bring in a, a veteran quarterback. I just don't think we have that many quarterbacks in this league right now that are available. Like back in the day, you might have, a backup quarterback on each team that was capable of, of leading a team as a starter. But I don't think those options are there right now in this league. So, um, and there's no one that's really a free agent besides McLeod Bethel Thompson, but we know his situation where he wants to be closer to his family. At least that's what he said when he left the Toronto Argonauts uh, last season. So yeah, I just think we ride with Powell until Schultz is ready to go. Maybe if Powell doesn't perform well, we then we slide Schultz in when he's healthy. So I think it's it's the guys we have, and that's what we have to deal with.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there, and I think that that's exactly what the team will do. Like I don't think you mentioned McCle- like I mentioned McLeod Beth Thompson. You brought him back up. Why would he he went down to he went down to a to be like you said be closer to his family. B to get another shot at the NFL, which obviously NFL training camps have opened. That's not going to happen. But if he's coming back to the CFL, why would he come to Hamilton? Like, why would he sign up for – like, wouldn't he he be more likely to go to a place like Saskatchewan? That starting quarterback, Trevor Harris, is likely out for the season. That team could be good. You know what I mean? Whereas he comes to Hamilton, we know Bo is expected back. The team said it – now, the team obviously is not very forthcoming with information most of the time, so the fact that they put that out is – kind of surprising but they expect Bo to be back all the insiders that you've seen say they expect him to be back anyone I've talked to that has been remotely connected to the organization expects him to be back so I don't why would you if you're him if you're saying I'm going to come back to the CFL He's coming back to be a team starting quarterback, not a stopgap for a month and a half or two months. You know what I mean? So that to me never made that. That one's just, I mean, all these scenarios, I'm sure we're a couple days away from, you know, a bad Nathan Rourke practice at Jacksonville Jaguars training camp. And someone said, pay it, get, get Nathan Rourke. He should come and play for Hamilton. It's like, yeah, I cats fans, fans are ridiculous <laughs> sometimes. You know what I mean? But I'm with you. I think putting on my GM hat, Taylor Powell's going to start this week. I don't think Matthew Schultz is ready. Although he was, back at practice last week not practicing or anything but he was on crutches the week before and was not on crutches this week so he's obviously trending in the right direction but I don't think he'll be back to play this week so I expect Taylor Powell to start and honestly I think even when Schultz is healthy unless Taylor Powell absolutely craps the bed I think I let the young kid play like we've seen that Schultz is a good kind of change of pace guy or someone that you can rely on for maybe a game or two I'd let. Powell will go out there and play the rest of the the games until Bo is healthy, just to see what you have in him. Is he a guy worth bringing back next year? Like, do you let a Matthew Schultz, who you're paying more money walk next year, and keep Taylor Powell and elevate him to the number to the number two quarterback job? Save some money there. It helps you build the roster out elsewhere when you're not paying. I, I know Schultz isn't making a ton of money, but he's making high end backup money. Like in the he's making over a hundred thousand in the like one, I think he's one twenty five, one fifty range, which is because of his pedigree, right? Like we've seen what he can do in this offense. We've seen what he can do in this league. You're paying for that. If Taylor Powell can show over the next six games, that he could be a guy that could be worth developing. Maybe you have your next Dane Evans on your hand. You know what I mean? Like we remember when Dane Evans was the number four quarterback here behind Vernon, behind Johnny Manziel, and then slowly but surely worked his way up the depth chart. They trade Vernon, or I think they kind up cutting, but they wanted to trade Vernon. and ended up cutting Vernon Adams. They traded Johnny Manziel, who they were high on, For a number of reasons, but one of them was Dane was looking better in practice at the time. So then you elevate Dane, and now we know Dane's become a reliable. If you know a little bit, I think it's fair to call him a up and down quarterback. I think he in in some cases like this past weekend I thought he looked really good. In other cases, not so much. But definitely a guy worth having on your roster as a backup quarterback at worst. So. Yeah, I think the team should kind of roll with Taylor Powell and see if he could be that next guy. Cause as we know, aside from Evans, this team does not develop quarterbacks very often. So if Powell can be someone, you can find that out over these next six games. And a couple of them are easy. Like they got the Elks coming up. That should, again, it's pro football nothing's a given, but that should be a bit of an easier opponent. Even Montreal, I don't think is a juggernaut or anything like that. And then he's got some stiffer competition. He got the Lions and the Argos on labor day, especially. So I don't know. I, I think I'm more more inclined to let Powell do his thing until Bo's healthy, even if Schultz comes back.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And if, if Powell's playing well, then, uh, you know, why mess up a good situation? And the, he has the potential to play well, I think. You know, you saw it at, when he came into that Elks game. He threw a, a touchdown pass. Now, he didn't throw many passes in that game, but he looked pretty good doing it. And then he looked... Pretty good in his first start. And I think that if Tommy Condell, you know, lets him, you know, throw the ball downfield a little bit more, then uh, we could see what this kid really has.
1: Yeah, I don't think he was the reason they lost against the Argos by any stretch of the imagination. He made, in my estimation, he made one bad throw, which came about because of things around him not working out. Duke didn't get separation. I think it was Duke that he threw it to. Um, The snap was high. Like there were a number of factors that contributed to that pick. But yeah, I don't think he was the. I, I, we may have even said this on the postgame show. If I was doing like a top 10 reasons why the Ticats lost against Toronto when Taylor Powell started, he's 10 or not even on the list. You know what I mean? So yep. they got the Alouettes this week. My anticipation, like as I said earlier, we're recording this on Monday. The Ticats have an open practice for the week. That won't happen until Tuesday. Uh, we'll n- get a better sense then. I mean, there was all that obfuscation last week where it's like, well, Bo practiced and we don't know if he's going to start. And I came on here. I came on this show. I came on my show on Patreon. I went on. The Rouge, White, and Blue podcast helped uh, our buddy Joe co-host that for the week last week. And I said, Bo's going to start. He's taking all the reps of practice. And what happens? Bo started. So we'll find out on my, on Tuesday, that is, kind of who's going to be out there with the, with the first team. I suspect it'll be Taylor Powell. But obviously, if you want to know all the, uh, the juicy details, head on over to patreon.com. Forward slash podski weewee. Sign up there and you'll uh, you'll hear from me a couple times a week talking about what I see at practice. That is our one cheap plug for the week. So let's move on. Mitchell's injury wasn't the only bizarre story to come out of Ticats land last week. As we discussed on last week's show, the team dealt Jigarrh Davis to the Calgary Stan for a sixth, sixth round pick in next year's CFL draft. Except they didn't because the trade was voided on Thursday of last week after Davis failed his physical with the stamp, with their medical staff diagnosing him with a torn meniscus. Now, I did see Davis with a small wrap around his right knee during the one day he was at Ticats practice last week, but he wasn't, like, sauntering around as if he had a torn or anything. It just, in my opinion, especially after the trade came down later that day, I just assumed it was they were holding him out, so he didn't get injured, and because he wasn't on practice on Monday, was did not participate on Tuesday, there was rumblings that something was in the works, whether it was he was going to be released or whether he was going to be traded, but there was something there. Then obviously later in the day it happened. If Davis needs surgery, I went and looked this up. The recovery time is typically three to six months, which means his season is likely over. If he can rehab it, he can probably come back in, I think it's three to six weeks. The Ticats will now be on the hook for his full salary. He is back on the roster because the trade was rescinded. So they'll have to pay him even if he never sees the field for them again. And he now knows that they don't want him here. So makes for a little bit of an awkward situation if they can't find a deal for him, if if and when he is healthy. Mike, this was weird. This was a weird one. What did you make of this when you heard the news?
0: Honestly, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if this is a black eye on the Hamilton Tiger Cats organization for sending an injured player in a trade I don't know if they didn't know he was injured and, you know, they just traded him because they didn't want him on the team anymore. Uh, I'm just confused by the whole situation. Uh, what's your take on it?
1: I, I've seen that that comment <clears throat> that they were trying to pull a fast one. That the, I don't buy that this was they knew they had damaged goods and they were looking to unload them. They sat him the week before. Speculation was, was a healthy scratch, but they never came out and said it. They just put him on the one-game injured list. So unless – Everyone was, and this is the case, everyone was just assuming it was because of a lack of effort. I just think that they don't want him on the team anymore. I think he hasn't mm-hmm. shown anything. And, and you got to be honest. We talked about it last week when we talked about the trade itself. He hasn't been that guy in nearly four years. 2019 was his last great year in the league. He was good with Hamilton in 2021, especially later in the season. He was miscast in Toronto and he's been downright bad for the, like, and this is what happens with elite-level athletes. The decline is fast and steep. You don't see it coming. These guys don't, like, go from, oh, they're pretty good. Oh, they're a little less. They're li-. No, it's like they're good, and then all of a sudden one day they stink. And this is what Davis is right now. He's not a good football player. I, I, I don't remember if I said it on here or if I said it on one of my shows. I, this could be the last time we see him on a CFL field, like his career. And it's not – like I'm not trying to knock the guy what kick him when he's down or anything like that, but you see these elite level American players and he took a giant pay cut, like eighty, ninety thousand from what he was making last year to come back to Hamilton. When that starts happening, you start to go, he's an American guy. He's gonna be, I think, thirty-three sometime this year. The wheels have fallen off. I I just don't think he's he's that good of a player anymore. But the idea that the Ticats – I don't think this was – an, uh, and I could be proven wrong, and if I am, I'll, I'll eat all the crow. I don't think this team was trying to pull a fast one by sending them to Calgary. I think either they didn't know or it, they didn't – their medical staff, it wasn't as serious, or they they traded them and they let the stamps know and the stamps just didn't care. Like, I, I'm not sure exactly how this all went down. It'll be interesting to see if we can get any sort of – because no one said anything. Like, you saw yeah. the – you've seen like the quotes from dave dickinson and and the people in calgary saying but no one's come out and said like this is what they did they knew he was hurt you there's been no leaks out of hamilton no leaks out of so i'm i'm tending to think that this was just a case of sometimes trades get rescinded because a guy is more hurt than you think you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. i don't don't think this is necessarily a bad look for the cats or anything like that and if it was don't get me wrong i'd be the first to call him out on it
0: yeah yeah i know that for sure and It would be a really bad look. I mean, uh, and I'm with you. I don't think that this was done intentionally or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, that would be another, uh, you know, really bad look for Orlando Steinhauer in a season where he already has not looked very good. You know, coaching and, and, uh, you know, just being a a part of that franchise as a whole. So um, I'm with you. I don't think it was anything shady. But if it was, it's uh, that's not very good.
1: Yeah. If it comes out that this was orchestrated or they knew, and we're just trying to offload a damaged asset. Yeah. We're going to have a much different conversation when, when Mm -hmm. we find that out and come back to the show to do that. But I, I don't know. I just, I just think that they were, they're tired of his act. Like he's, and I've been saying this since training camp, he doesn't do a lot of work in practice. And when you're playing well, you're fine with that. It's like, it's like the, the taskmaster coach, right? Like, you're fine with the guy that screams in your face if you're winning football games. The second you're not winning football games, you're like, what's what's up with this idiot? And mm-hmm. it's the same sort of thing. Like, he's not giving a ton of effort. If they're winning, like, like, I wasn't around the team on a day-to-day basis in 2019, but I imagine this was okay then because they were winning a lot of football games and no one cared. And when things are going good... All of these sort of little things that usually bubble up to the surface when a team's struggling or a team is hovering around that mediocre 9-9 nine and nine tie-cats mark, which we should just call tie-cats record from now on. If you say the team's going to get a Ticats record, you know they're going to go 500. Those things kind of get washed over. You kind of just ignore them. But when the team is – and you, you've brought a guy in. He was one of your – not necessarily high price, but one of your star free agent acquisitions, and he's not playing the way he used to now all of a sudden those little things that he does where he shows up late to training camp or he's off on his own doing his own thing or he comes out to practice like those things start to eat at you a little bit more and sometimes you have to and i think we said this last week sometimes you have to set a, a like a tone setter like mm-hmm. no one is safe trading a guy like you gary davis is like well they brought him in the offseason they gave him a pretty decent contract and they're saying after six games like nope you're gone it's one of those things where maybe that was also an attempt there as well but uh yeah, just I'm I'm kind of curious to follow the situation. Go like I again. If he has a torn meniscus, it's not like he's going to be at practice and practicing. I'll be very curious when I go down to uh, Tim Hortons Field and and they are there if he's even there. You know what I mean? So
0: yeah, as we saw in the last couple games, the defensive line has really stepped up, and they haven't missed Jaguar Davis at all. So. Obviously, it was the right decision to, you know, take him out of this lineup because he wasn't producing anything anyway. So but obviously it's going to be a bit of an awkward situation with this, you know, him coming back to the team and um, he's injured. So you can't really get rid of him right now. And uh, yeah, they're just going to have to move forward with him on the injured list, I guess.
1: Yeah. And I also want to just before we move on, just touch on this wasn't a salary dump. People, are, I saw a lot of people misinformed on that. Yes, Jaguar Davis is making a larger salary, but this was a fact of the player's not worth the money he's worth. So they were trying to get recoup something for him as opposed to outright releasing him. So for everyone being like, oh, they, th- this was just them trying to – because they're over the cap or anything like that, I, my mm-hmm. understanding is that's not the case. This was simply a case of this player has not lived up to the expectations – We're going to try to shop him and see if someone will take him Calgary would for a very, very little compensation and the Ticats more than happy to get off it. But like you said, now awkward situation. Let's let's uh, I'll keep everyone up to date on what I see. If he's uh, even shows up this week, but uh, I got a, I got a hankering that he's not uh, he's not going to be there. All right, let's move on. Two weeks ago, we did quarterbacks last week. We did running backs. And as promised, We are now going to update our CFL receiver tiers today. Mike, I don't know about you, but I found this to be the most difficult one to put together. I think my first draft had 25 receivers on it, but we decided to make the limit 15 so that we were then forced to make some pretty difficult decisions. This also means that our lists could vary wildly, which would make for some good discussions. I got to ask you before we get into it. Did you have as much trouble as I did narrowing it down to 15 guys?
0: I, I, I really did, Josh. And I was looking at my list that I made before the season started, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of changes. There is a lot of changes because of guys stepping up that you know weren't necessarily stars the season before. So it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation here. So how did
1: you... Cause like I, I had two minds about making my list. It was based on what we've seen so far this year, but also some, maybe there's some veteran guys out have my list who I'm giving a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to where there's Mm -hmm. some younger guys who have played well this year that I'm like, ah, much like I did with Chad Kelly, I'm going to use him as my benchmark for, for, I need to see more. Maybe some guys that I'm like, "Ah, I want to take a little bit more of a wait and see approach. How did you kind of go about what was your methodology for trying to put together your tiers here?
0: Well, a bit of both of what you said, you know, the guys that have proven themselves as, you know, top tier receivers in this league, but maybe have injuries or maybe they are suspended for a couple of games and haven't necessarily put up the stats that you'd expect from guys like that i gave them the benefit of the doubt for the most part some guys that have been really good receivers in this league that have dropped off a cliff or you know they haven't seen the field yet i left them off the list so it's a bit of a mismatch and then the new guys that came in like i'm looking at all their stats you know their their efficiency rating and all that all that stuff their yards um if they're really killing it this year but you know don't have that name brand I'm still putting them on the list. Maybe not the top tier, but as a rising star in the second or third tier.
1: Okay. One last question before we unveil these bad boys, who was the one player that you wanted the hardest to get on that you couldn't, that you, you tried and tried and tried to find a spot for him, but it just wasn't there. So if there's one guy you got to pick.
0: All right. Let's just give me a second here. Then what did I not have on here? I had Julian Grant. There was, the, the full list here.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, while you're doing that, you I'll go give you with mine. yours. I'll give you mine. Yeah. Mine was key on Hatcher. My, okay. I, I kept looking and he was like always, when I had, it was like 20 something deep, he was on there. And then when I kept moving it around and trying to find spots and I was like, this guy's got to be there. I know this guy struggled this year, but I got to give him, I know the talents there. He was the one that I had the absolute most difficult time not putting on there. And I, I'm looking at it now and I I'm looking at the, cause I got a list of the guys that I that didn't make it and a list of the guys. I don't, and I'm like, man, I could make another 20 guys here. And they, you, you would, aside from the top of the top, I don't think there'd be a lot of arguments over, over some of these guys making the list, but yeah, it was, just, it was really difficult.
0: Yeah. No kidding. And it's like, it's tough to find some of these stats. It's like, yeah, I'm going I mean, at the individual leaders, uh, but they only list like the top three receivers. It's like, geez. yeah, it's
1: yeah, I know. It's, it's CFL stats this year. You know what? When we get off the show, I'll send you a link to uh, the place that I can get uh, that someone sent to me actually that has some pretty good stats. It's uh it's not CFL affiliated, so it's it's actually updated and and readable. So I'll send you that when we get off the show.
0: So did you right, find the good. the
1: one guy that you, did you find you? No, one guy let's you get back.
0: We'll come back to it.
1: Okay, okay. You know what we you know what we can do? We'll listen to your list and then if you got a guy that you don't have on there, I'll I'll bring him up at the at the end. Because there was a
0: couple guys that like. Sure. I had on my list that I took off or at least a couple guys, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit here.
1: And I mean, I think in the preseason, I think we did 20 guys. So we narrowed it down even further from that. So that makes it interesting as well. All right, let's get into this then enough pontificating about what we didn't do. Let's talk about what we did do, Mike. So mine is, as we said, 15 guys. I did five tiers. How many did you do? Do you do five as well?
0: I got, I got, I got four.
1: You got four. Okay. You know what, then yeah. I will kick things off. Because then we'll be even here. So my fifth tier, it is four players deep. Tim White, Jalen Acklin, Stephen Dunbar, and Dylan Mitchell. So this tier, the reason I got these guys here is it features four very good to great receivers that have all struggled tremendously this year in some way, shape, or form. Dunbar is probably the best of the bunch this season, but he's not very consistent and at least hasn't been over his career. So I put him here as well. But all four of these players have shown over their careers that they can be, quote-unquote, the guy. We've seen Tim White. He was, I think, fifth or sixth in receiving last year. Jalen Acklin was a 1,000-yard receiver. Dylan Mitchell, maybe the one guy that I put on here more so because of potential. And he has looked good in the in the last recent weeks, this last shutout loss to BC notwithstanding. But he has put up some pretty decent numbers in the in the preceding weeks before that. But these are four guys that I think could – and were when we did this previously, higher up on my on my tiers when we did this in the preseason. But because of the seasons they they're having, like all of these guys have disappeared or struggled with consistency this year. Like we've seen games where Tim White has just been completely invisible. Jalen Acklin, I can't remember the last time he had a big game. Mitchell, I think, had seven yards receiving in the first three games. And Dunbar's always been a little hit or miss for me. So that's why I have those guys there. So now we'll get to our fourth tiers. Mike, why don't you kick us off with who you have on your, your what is your bottom tier, but is my second to bottom tier. All
0: right. So kick off my fourth tier. I have Justin Hardy. I think this guy is a rising star in this league. Um, we saw it last week or, or this week's game. He had a pretty big game for Ottawa. I think he's a fast guy. I think he makes some big plays. He's a rising star, as I just said. So I have Justin Hardy. I have Duke Williams in this category. Because, listen, his numbers are pretty good. But you look at his efficiency rating, and it is really bad. It's 36.3 compared to some guys that are at the top of the league who, you know, uh, Julian Grant is 116.7. Nick Dembski is 149. To have 36.3 is, is really bad. But, you know, he's been one of uh, Hamilton's best receivers, you know, catching the ball and racking up yards. So, and then I have Odom's Dukes. I think uh, Trey Odom's Dukes from Calgary is a really good receiver. Uh, He's an up and coming star as well. And then I have Coxie from Toronto. Uh, I I think once again, you know, an efficiency rating of 109.9. He's not, you know, near the top of the league in yards, but I, I think he might get there by the end of the season. So that's my, my fourth tier.
1: Oh, I already know we're going to have some good conversation here because you named three guys on your fourth tier that didn't make my list. So this is going to be a hell of a fun thing to do. All right, so my fourth tier for your features five guys and here I have like you I had Duke Williams here as well. He ha- I think he has been Hamilton's best receiver, but he has lacked that consistency. I don't I think he's been more consistent than the guys that I put on the lower tier. I think he's had, he's been more of a go-to guy for whomever's been at quarterback for the tight guys. I think he's really only had one game where he wasn't featured prominently in the passing attack. So Duke, Duke lands here, but the other ones I have, I have Nick Dembski. I have Tevin Jones, Reggie Bagleton, and Sean Bain Jr. So these are counting Duke, the five guys that I think have mostly been great, but haven't been as dominant as the guys that I had ranked above them. I think all five of these guys can take over a game. I, I know Jones and Bain Jr. are one and two in the league in receiving yards, but I think that's a little deceiving because the Riders have been down so big in some games, especially I think they both had big games against uh, the Argos this past weekend. So they're two guys that have, have kind of put up – I hesitate to use the word garbage yards because eh, it's a little pejorative, but they have put up some 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 yards in, in times when the the game hasn't exactly been – competitive if you will but the reason i have these five ahead of the four like i said on the bottom is that most of them have not gone entire games or couple games without making some type of impact like even when duke doesn't catch a ball i see him out there throwing blocks and springing other guys so it's not something tim white necessarily does and of course we follow the cats more closely than the other people in the league but i just think these guys here they're they have the potential to take over games but they don't do it on a consistent enough basis to for me to have them Up a little higher. So that's way that's why I have them here in this fourth tier here. So let's go to your third tier, Mike. Who are you putting here?
0: I have Alexander Hollins, my first player in the third tier. A tremendous efficiency rating of 110.8. His uh target percentage is 73%, which is pretty high i see that there's you know Dembski and sean bain jr have a little bit higher but that's a pretty good number he's bounced around to start the season they had adams jr now they have uh, dane evans in there but i think he's sitting pretty good in the third tier i have julian grant as well in this tier he's fourth in receiving in the league uh you know 209 yards after catch which is uh i think leading the league actually it is it is leading yep, the lead, and, and, and
1: that's and that's before last night when he put up
0: yeah. uh, some some more big numbers. Right, exactly. So I don't have those numbers in front of me right now. I'm going off.
1: No, um, because why would the CFL seven. have updated updated stats on their website after yeah, exactly. uh, at one o'clock in the afternoon Eastern Time
0: after the night. last game of the week? <laughs> yeah.
1: Why would they have that?
0: I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't help me out at all. But uh, <laughs> anyways, so I have him there. God damn it, CFL! You messed me up. Who did I just mention? Uh, Actually, okay. And then Keon Hatcher. I know that you didn't have you, him on your list, but I feel like this is a guy that maybe he hasn't put up the numbers this year. I think he was injured for a time, but I do believe that, uh, he's a tremendous receiver and I think that he deserves to be in that third tier.
1: This is crazy. I didn't rank any of the guys that you just mentioned. That's, that's how hard this was, but that's yep. how hard this was because you make the, the case for him. Like you made that case. And Julian Grant was another guy where I was like, ah, maybe I need to see a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like he was in mm-hmm. that category, but I it, get it's, it. It's, I get it. But it's tough. It's tough to argue with, with what you said. Like his numbers have been pretty outstanding. Like he's right now, maybe the front runner for MO, like top Canadian in the East. Like it's, he's been tremendous this year, but it, it this was, this was really, really hard <laughs> exercise. So my third tier I have Gino Lewis, Kenny Lawler, and Mark and Michelle. So these three, mm-hmm. I had a really difficult time placing them somewhere because while all of them are undoubtedly super – like these are these are top tier. If they are healthy for 18 games, these might be the three guys that lead the league in receiving. You know what I mean? But none of them have really played enough, maybe except for Michelle, to put them higher here. Like Gino, he's been out for a few weeks now. Lawler has played just one game after missing more than a month due to a suspension. Like I said, Michelle's played in four games, but he arrived after the season started. So it seems kind of unfair to grade him like you would guys that have been here since camp opened. But, and, and Lewis, like with, with the guys not playing, there's that, this is where I mentioned at the top, the history versus current production. It's like, despite the injury, Geno Lewis is probably still the best receiver in the CFL. However, because he hasn't, he wasn't, he had the, well, maybe one really good game with Edmonton. And he ha- like, I, I can't. I heard he
0: had one really good catch and run, and that was about that it. Might,
1: that, yeah, that's fair. But our, our, if we're judging guys in Edmonton based on mm-hmm. what they, like, it's, 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 again, it's, it's, all of it comes into play. It's just, it's, it, this exercise was incredibly difficult. So if Gino Lewis isn't on your list, totally understand that. But I just think the pedigree's there where you're like, mm-hmm. How do you not have him in your top 15? You know what I mean? Like, I I just think back and I'm not, I'm not comparing him in in any way, shape or form. But if we were doing this, I don't know, 15 years ago and G Roy Simon got hurt after three games, it's like, well, G Roy's still a top 15, you know what I mean? So like, that's kind of why he's there. But this is, these were the three guys that I just was like, I feel like they're top 15 guys. I feel like they're top tier guys potentially, but they just haven't done enough this year that I can't rank them above the guys I have. Higher than them so I knocked him down A little bit here and, and kept kept him on the list But didn't put him as high as, as maybe I would Have liked to alright second tier Now second from the top here who do you Have occupying This tier for you Mike
0: Yeah five guys in this tier And, and uh, wow. my first guy is Tevin Jones out of Saskatchewan This guy burst on the scene this season And has put up some, some Pretty darn good numbers uh, An efficiency rating of 104.8 uh, 83 yards per game. He's got 66.7 percentage of his targets. Um, he's fifth in the league in receiving yards. Uh, I think this guy is the real deal, and that's why he's in my second tier. Who else do I have in this tier? I have Tim White. Now, Tim White, we all know, is a is a is a really good receiver that has you know. His uh, ups and downs throughout the season. Let's say sometimes he looks like the best receiver in the league, and then some games he disappears, and that might not be a fault of his. You know, sometimes you just don't get the ball thrown your way on But I still believe that he's one of the you know the better receivers in the league. Maybe not that top tier, but in that second tier, I I believe he fits. Nick Dembski. he was almost in my first tier, and and I'm I'm kind of debating why he wasn't, but he, he's a tremendous receiver. He's kind of a, a, you know, a pinball type player where you can, you could hand the ball off to him. You could throw the ball to him. You could throw the ball on a screen to him. He does a lot of things, uh, a Swiss army knife per se. So uh, he's in my second tier. He's third in the league in receiving yards. He has a crazy efficiency rating of 149.9 just just a tremendous player. Uh, I have Reggie Begelton in this tier as well. He's having a really good season after some, you know, he went to the NFL, he came back, and he didn't overly impress me with the with his play since he came back to the league. But this year I feel like he's really doing well, um, putting up some good numbers. And then I have Kenny Lawler. You know, his first game back after suspension for a DUI, I believe, in previous years. Uh, you know, he comes back. He He made an impact in his first game back. And I still think he's he's one of the best receivers in the league, but I can't put him in that first tier because I just haven't seen a lot of that in, in uh, the previous years. You know, with Edmonton, he did some good things, but, you know, he's kind of hampered by that whole situation there. So let's see what he does this season when he gets his... Uh, you know, feet on the ground and gets comfortable again in that Winnipeg offense, I believe that he will be, uh, you know, near the top of the list by the end of the season. So that is my second tier.
1: So in doing the quick math here, you've named 12 players, which means you have three receivers on your first tier. Mm -hmm. Am I correct? Correct. Yes, correct. Okay, so I'm going to, this is just a guess, but I'm going to think that we have the, because I got one in my, in my, second tier here and two in my top tier. And I'm going to guess that they're probably the three same players, but we'll have to wait. So my second tier is one guy. Like I said, it's Dominique rhymes rhymes is a top tier talent without a, without question, but he has missed a couple of games and that lions offense really hasn't missed a beat without him. They have three other players that I considered for this list. Lucky whitehead, Keon Hatcher and Alexander Hollins, two of which made your list. That kind of speaks to the depth at receiver that the lions have But when he's on the field, Dominic Grimes, he's the man and he has done enough to warrant this high ranking, at least to me. But because the two guys that I have ahead of him haven't missed any games and have put up better numbers, that's why I slid him into his own tier here at at number two. So we've made it to the end, Mike, your top tier. Who are your three guys that you consider the three best receivers in the Canadian Football League right now?
0: All right, I got Dalton Schoen as one. You know, you can't deny this guy's numbers. He leads, the, or he did lead the league in receiving yards after week seven. You know, I don't think he's been as impressive as he has in previous years. You know, even with him leading the league in receiving yards, I feel like there's been some drops this season. He hasn't been quite as efficient as some of the other receivers in the top five. Uh, for example, his re- efficiency rating is 91.3. And the guys behind him are 108, 149, 116, and 104. But I still believe that he's a very productive receiver and a very productive offense. So he is in my top tier. The last two guys I have are Austin Mack, a guy that came on on the scene this season. I believe he had some time in the NFL. He played at Ohio State. And sometimes those guys come up here and they just think, you know, this is a lesser league. I'm gonna run wild over this, but from what all I've heard, he's been a humble dude. He's, he's happy to be in the Canadian Football League, and he's putting up big numbers. Uh, in weeks after week seven, he was second in the league in receiving yards. His efficiency rating is uh, a great 108.0. You know, he's just 91.6 yards per game, a 15.3 yard average on his catches. You know, he, he's just doing a lot of good things up here, making spectacular catches. Just a really fun player to watch. So Austin Mack, maybe people will look at that and be like, oh, he's too he's too young in the CFL to be in the top tier. But I just think he's one of the best receivers in the league. I, I just can't deny him that. And then I have Geno Lewis. Oh! Yes. You know, he was in my top tier when uh, we did them the first time in the offseason, and he's been injured he hasn't been able to show what he and even if he's in the offense of the Edmonton O's. I'm not sure he'd be able to show what he has. You know, he's not going to rack out big yards in that offense with that quarterback and that offensive line. It's just a mess there, obviously. So even if he was healthy the whole season, his numbers might not be there. But I still believe that he is one of the best, if not the best receiver in the CFL.
1: That's fair. So my top, my top tier is two players. It's Dalton Schoen and Austin Mack, same as you had in yours. It's funny that you mentioned that shown hasn't been, I I don't think you said as good, but he hasn't dominated this year like he did a year before, but he's still, like you said, entering this past week was the leading receiver in the CFL he's still doing tremendous things on the field. He's still being an impact player, but it's funny because the numbers, he hasn't really taken over a game and put up like one of those 140 games. Like we saw from him in his rookie season last year, but he's, he's still put together a, a very good year, but like almost quietly put together a good year because other stories in the league have also taken over as well. Right? Like the bombers aren't just running rough shot over, over everyone. We're talking about the Argos. We're talking about the lions being better than them. So Winnipeg's kind of flown on the radar and I think that that's given shown a little bit less of a less of a platform than we saw a year ago and especially because he's kind of doing it again as opposed to doing it the first time that also plays a role into it uh too and Mac is the other one I think Shones what he did last year is why I'm so high on Mac this year because we've seen rookie receivers come into this league now and back-to-back seasons and put up big numbers off the hop and sustain it over the season. You mentioned that he was an NFL guy. He was with the New York giants. And I think it was 2020. He's got the pedigree of going to Ohio state. That's a big time school that produced some big time receivers. He's been a go-to target since day one for Cody Fajardo. This doesn't look as great after Sunday night. I don't think he had a very impressive game on Sunday night, but more often than not, he's put up some pretty big yardage and I do, I do expect a bounce back performance for him against the Ticats this week. So that's why I have him in my top tier as well. This, is, uh, this was rather interesting. So I'm looking at your list, and the guys that you had on that I didn't are Justin Hardy, Trey Odoms Dukes, DeMonte Coxie, Alex Hollins, on Julian Grant, and Keon Hatcher. And the guys that I had that you didn't were Dominique Grimes, Mark and Michelle, Sean Bain Jr., Jalen Ackland, Stephen Dunbar, and Dylan Mitchell. So mm-hmm. – I the, think the toughest I, I,
0: guys to, to to keep off the list now that I have the full list in front of me, I finally found the page. You know, Acklin was a tough guy to keep off because I had him on my list originally. But I just I don't know, man, like obviously he doesn't have the, the quarterback there or early on. You know, Dustin Crum has found his way and he's he looks to be a decent quarterback. But Jalen, I just haven't seen enough from him in the past couple of seasons especially this season and uh i don't know i know that he's still a really good receiver i just couldn't find a way to put him on the list and then there's guys like dominic grimes um obviously a tremendous receiver maybe should have been on my list but uh, the numbers weren't there this season and uh, i know that's not his fault um and there's some other guys too like uh dunbar jr i just feel like yeah he looked okay in hamilton he showed his some signs but i I don't see him as a top 15 receiver, and we haven't seen anything at Edmonton to show us that he's a top 15 receiver. So those are a couple of guys that I left. And Sean Bain Jr., a guy that maybe, you know, maybe I should have made room for on the list. He's he's top 10 in receiving yards. He's having a tremendous season. He's a very exciting player to watch with a lot of speed. So those are three or four guys that maybe could have made the list, but uh, just missed out on it.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at this again, and I'm I'm seeing the – I got three Edmonton Elks on here, and that just feels wrong. That feels like me st- maybe staying a little too close to my preseason thoughts on those guys. Gino just definitely still – injury be damned, He he's a top 15 guy regardless. He's a top five guy at worst. You know what I mean? Top three, top two even. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even still the best receiver in the
0: game. Even a guy like Dylan Mitchell, though, like he is – you know that he's a good receiver. If they could yeah. just get in the ball, you know what I mean. Like some of these yep. guys are just uh, victims of their, of teams, their situation. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's tough. It's really tough. But but I'm
1: looking at this now, and I think I think on Julian Grant should have made my list. I probably would have put him in over Stephen Dunbar, Justin Hardy. But I'm looking at some of the other guys that I left off. That that also you left off: Nate Bahar, Devaris Daniels, Curly Gittens Jr., who we I think I had him in my yep. top three at the start of the season. Yeah, I, mean, I think he's yeah, kind of he's, he's, d- he's very He's kind of disappeared. Neither of us put Lucky mm-hmm. Whitehead on there. Um, I'm so there's there's three other guys that I kind of put off in their own category that you didn't put on either, and I'm going to assume it's injury related. Although you didn't have them in your preseason when Key Schaefer, Baker, Malik Henry, and Greg Ellingson. Malik Henry got hurt this year. Greg Ellingson hasn't played. Those guys, I believe, I know they're on my preseason list. I'm pretty sure Henry and Ellingson were probably on yours, but I'm assuming that because they haven't played is why they fell
0: off yours, like just like mine. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and then Lucky Whitehead was another
0: one that we I, – I don't yep, think Yeah, I considered him too, and it's, it's just – you know, you just haven't seen much from him. You, yeah. know, you know he's an exciting player, you know, that he has that breakaway speed, but I don't know. You just haven't seen him.
1: Yeah, it's uh, – this was by far the hardest one we've done. I feel like maybe because there is just so many receivers – that that's what makes it so difficult. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of, a lot of variants there. I'd be kind of curious. I hope that people listen to this, give us, maybe give us their tears or, or perhaps judge like whose tears do you think is better? are mine? Mm -hmm. and my, my reasonings for it better. Do you like Mike's reasoning for it better? Hit us up on social media. I'm kind of curious what other people think. I know last week I said that this was going to be the last one we do, but Mike, I think we got to do one more. I think we got to do coaches. I think we gotta go back and power Ooh, okay. rank the coaches because there's right. there's definitely been some changes in the way I've thought about yes. some coaches as this season's gone on. So I think that could be a fun one as well. What do you say? Yeah, I'm down, for,
0: I, I, yeah I'm down for that. It's uh Okay. Yeah, I'd say it's a bit of an easier task as well, and, and it'd be a lot of fun because like you said, there's been some major drop offs and some some coaches climbing up the ranks, to be frank.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think that that, that would be uh like you said, easier, only nine people. I think we'll have a lot of similarities on that list, but mm-hmm. uh, but the changes from what we had in the preseason, what we have now, I think will be pretty, pretty stark. So uh, we're going to move on now. We're going to play a little game, kind of an Elks heavy edition of all in or all out. So, Mike, you ready to go? Let's do this. All right. Edmonton's home losing streak hit 21 games on Saturday night when they were shut out by the B.C. Lions 27 to nothing. The loss now sets the North American professional sports record for consecutive home losses, eclipsing the mark initially established by Major League Baseball St. Louis Browns in 1953. The Elks are now 0 4 at home this year and have five games remaining to make sure that this streak does not extend into another season. Their final five home games are against Winnipeg on August 10th, Ottawa on August 27th, Calgary on September 9th, BC on September 22nd. That'll be an interesting one, considering they've been shut out by the Lions in both of their previous meetings this year. I can only imagine if they actually score a rouge on that one, the crowd might go nuts. Mm-hmm. And then they they close out the regular their home regular season schedule on October 14th against the Montreal Alouettes. The the Elks will likely. Be underdogs in all five of those games. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you straight up. Are you all in or all out on the Elks going over at home for a third straight season?
0: I think I have to be all in on this one. I just don't see them being good enough to beat any team in this league. It's like they're horrendous on offense. You know, I know that they promoted Jarius Jackson today to yeah. offensive coordinator, so maybe that'll make a difference, but I'm not sure that it will. I just, I don't know. I, I, I can't see them winning a game at home for the rest of the season, even, you know, against anyone. I don't care who it is. It's just like, they're, they're just bad. And they're just terrible, terrible team.
1: I'm all in on them not winning at home. Anything can happen, but they have two chances, in my opinion, to break the streak week 12 against Ottawa and week 14 against Calgary. Maybe the final home game against Montreal Because maybe the Owls have clinched second place in the East and it'll be resting guys. But if they get to that game, still winless at home, they're Oh, zero eight at home. And I think the pressure will get to them. I don't think they're better than Ottawa. And I don't think they're better than Calgary, but those they're not going to beat Winnipeg. They're not going to beat BC. So you can already scratch those ones like this, this streak getting to at least 22. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm I'm with you man. I just don't think this this team stinks. Like I've never been more wrong about a team going into a season than yeah, I think I was either. about about the Elks this year. They are hapless. Yes, they made a change in offensive coordinator, but I don't know if that's going to make a damn bit of difference because their quarterback's simply not good enough. And they were mm-hmm. steadfastly refused. And by they, I mean Chris Jones steadfastly refuses to make the change at quarterback. And I know everyone's calling for for Trey Ford and it, there's all these reports that he's not good in practice, whatever. Put Jarrett Dagey in there. I know he didn't look good in, his, in the one start he had, but my God, you got to do something. Because if you keep trotting that same garbage out there, uh, you're not going to win very many football games. This, this is a bad football team like that. Doesn't really do anything right. So, yeah, as much as I hate to say it, because there's some nice Elks fans out there, I don't know if this team's going to get a W at home this year. We're going to stay in Edmonton here. The Elks are now 0-8 on the season for the first time in franchise history, and they are the first team to start 0-8 or worse since the 2017 Hamilton Tiger Cats. The longest losing streak to open a season is 14 games set by the Shreveport Pirates, in 1994. And of course we know very well that the worst single season record in CFL history is one and 17 set by the 2003 Hamilton Tiger cats. The worst record in Elks team history is two and 14, which they set all the way back in 1963. So Mike, 0 and eight, all of these losing streaks. I got to ask you, are you all in or all out on the Elks going Oh, and
0: 18, winless in 2023. I'm all out on that. I think they're gonna win. I think they're gonna tie the tie cats record. I think they're gonna be 1 and 17. They'll 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 get a win somehow. You know whether it be late in the season where a team comes into town or they go to uh, another city and the team that they go to is uh, already locked up a playoff position and they're playing backups. But I I do think that they will get at least one win. Um, they won't claim the record of, of 0 and 18. They're not going to take that record away from us, Josh. Okay. They're going to tie the record. It'll be one and 17 at the end of the season.
1: I'm all out as well. I think they also are going to go one and 17 and here's who they're going to beat. Here's who I want them to beat. I want that one win to be against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders because older <laughs> Ticat fans will remember the one in one and 17 for the Ticats <laughs> was yeah. an overtime victory over the Riders. So I still remember riders, that field
0: goal, field goal yeah. th- going through the end zone. <laughs> yes, we won a freaking game.
1: It felt like you won the championship because I think mm-hmm. they were what 0 and 12 or something at the time when that happened. Yeah, I just think it would be incredibly funny if there were two 1 and 17 teams in modern CFL history, and the one in both of those 1 and 17s was Saskatchewan. And that game yeah, would come, would be- I believe. I think they they don't play Saskatchewan. No, they don't. We just ran down the H- Elf home station. so that would be in Saskatchewan. And I think I think Oof. at that time I think the Elks would be 0 13. I think I looked up the schedule, so they wouldn't even break the Shreveport Pirates record. But that one coming against the Riders, I think would be hilarious. Now, if they get to that Riders game and they lose, I want them going 0 18.
0: Because if yeah, you're gonna well go for it.
1: That's just it. You might as well go for it. So I, I don't think it will. I think they'll get a bounce here or there that'll win them a game. I just really want it to be against the Riders because I just think that would be incredibly funny.
0: You know, we joked about uh, those free tickets, you know, at the start of the season. The <laughs> we outs, did. Like, well, maybe, uh, like, uh, people will be getting a whole season ticket package for free. That's <laughs> a distinct possibility now. Like, that is actually going to happen, I think. So that's crazy.
1: Uh, that, is, that That is nuts. That is nuts. I mean and we thought they were going to and the thing was they almost won that first game at home.
0: Yeah, well, I wonder if it would have made a difference, you know, if they would have won that first game, maybe things would have been different for this team. Probably not, but oh, oh man. Man, man. That man. goal it's that goal a side line situation.
1: Stand, it really is. But that goal line stand goes Edmonton's way and they win mm. that 20 to 17. Perhaps this season goes in a much different direction. Okay. This last one is also kind of tangentially related to the elk. So like I said, it was very Elks heavy game today. And this is because of their terrible record that will allow this to possibly occur. As of week eight, Mike, the East division has eight wins in 12 games against the West. And no one is talking about it because if this was the opposite, all we would hear about is how the West dominating the East once again, but the East is dominating the West. And all of a sudden it's, well, they have crappy teams and just, shooing it away, like those Western elitists always do. So the owls, tie cats, <laughs> and red blacks all sit on six points, as do the riders, while the stamps have four at two and uh, they have four points and a two and five record. And the elks, obviously, as we just talked about, oh and eight. This has opened up the door to the possibility of the an Eastern team crossing over into the western bracket for the first time ever. since the crossover rule was introduced ahead of the nineteen ninety six season. We have seen 12 teams come from the West to play in the East with five of those teams reaching the division finals, but none of them getting to the gray cup. We have not had a crossover team. However, since 2019 when Edmonton came over, which capped a run of four straight years where the West sent four teams to the playoffs instead of the normal three. But as the Elks look like a possibly winless outfit or a one in 17 team, the stamps looking as bad as they ever have in the last 25 to 30 years and the Riders looking totally inept on offense, and especially so now that Trevor Harris is out, the possibility of the Ticats, Owls, or Red Blacks taking the Western route seems better than ever. So, Mike, are you going all in or all out on an Eastern team finally crossing over into the West playoffs for the first time this year?
0: I'm all out on this one. I think that uh, eventually... You know, even though I don't really like the way that Dave Dickinson is handling losing, you know, he's been in the league for a while as a coach. A lot of lot of
1: lot of player blame in there, eh?
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of a bad look on him. You know, he has all this success, and then all of a sudden he he gets a little bit of uh, you know a tough road to hoe, and he and he throws his players under the bus. It seems so. Even with injuries, it's like, oh, you need to be taking better care of yourself. I've never seen that from a coach ever like said that publicly. But I do believe that eventually the Calgary Stampeders will turn it around because that's just what they do. I, you know, maybe this is finally the year that they don't. But I, I believe the CFO will settle down and it'll be the way that it always has been. You know, an East team will drop off the 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 map. The Calgary Stampeders will rise again and there'll be three and three. Three teams from the East, three teams from the West. I just don't see a, an Eastern crossover. I know that uh, like Saskatchewan's bad, and I think that <clears throat> that Trevor Harris' injury was the end of their season. Like Maybe they would have squeaked into the playoffs if that didn't happen, but I just don't believe in Mason Fine, and I don't believe that the team is good enough to sustain an injury like that to their starting quarterback. So I believe that Saskatchewan and obviously Edmonton will be out of the playoffs, but Calgary will find a way to creep into the playoffs in that third spot.
1: So, the Stamps are the one team that I think can stop this. But here's their next four games Toronto, BC, Winnipeg, Toronto. There's a distinct possibility that this two and five team is two and nine before Labor Day. And the schedule lightens up. They get back to back against Edmonton, then a bye. Then they go, they host Montreal, then they come to Hamilton, then a bye, and then they go Riders, Lions, Bombers. Like, if they go two and nine, and we presume they'll lose to the Lions and the Bombers, although maybe in that last week the Bombers are kind of easing up a little bit because they've they've clinched everything. You know what I mean? Like maybe the Lions are in first place and the Bombers are in second and because the crossover team can't get second, you know what I mean, and the stamps have, have been bad, they'll rest guys that week, uh, especially if Winnipeg's in second place and doesn't get home field in the playoffs and that's something they haven't had in a few years, perhaps that. But even if you look at that, you say, all right, well, and maybe they beat Toronto. Maybe, maybe they squeak one of these up. But you're looking at this going, is this a seven-win team maximum? Like, I think the Riders are cooked. I'm with you. I think that they'll be lucky to match last year's record. I, I don't think that offense is very good. A lot of people were talking about how good they were after the Touchdown Atlantic game where they scored 13 points. And I'm just like, I don't understand where this is coming from. But I, don't, I think the Riders are done. I think they're essentially eliminated from the playoffs along with the Elks right now. And I'm just looking at the Stampeders and I'm going, all right, two and five, two and six, two and seven, two and eight, two and nine. Even if they win the back to back against Edmonton, well, okay, so now we're four and nine. Montreal's probably better than them, but that's at home, so we'll give them that one. They're going to come to Hamilton. I think the Tie Cats, especially if Bo's back, he, if Bo's back and playing even uh, moderately well he's going to want to stick it to them so that's probably a loss now we're at 10 losses so now i'm just saying an east team's got to get to maybe 8 and 10 to cross over i'm going all in i think an eastern team is crossing over and here's my wish as much as it would suck from a personal perspective because i wouldn't get to go to any home playoff games i want the ticats to cross over to the west and make the gauntlet run and get to the gray cup out of the west be the first non-West team to win the West division and then beat the Argos in the Grey Cup in Hamilton. How great would that be?
0: Argonauts, Cats, Grey, Grey Cup would in be. In
1: Hamilton. And the Ticats, that's who the, that's what this has all been, this, this 25 years of misery has been leading up to the most improbable Grey Cup run you'll ever see. Uh, uh, under 500 or 500 East team going through the West and knocking off the big dogs and then they get the defending Grey Cup champions, their bitterest rival, in the biggest game, the, the one Grey Cup you thought you'd never get to see, and that's and that's where all because all who's who's been the biggest antagonist to TyCats fans the last twenty five years, Argos fans, obviously, uh-huh. understandably. Uh-huh. Oh, we're gonna make fun. The Argos their 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 run of Grey Cup victories comes to an end, and Hamilton's run of futility comes to an end. It would be the perfect ending. It would be the absolute be. perfect ending. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. If, if, whatever East team I think travels to the West is going to get obliterated in that first playoff game. But a man can dream, can he not? But to answer the question, I am all in on this happening. I'm all in on the East sending four teams to the playoffs this year, and I would absolutely love it.
0: You know, I, I'd i love that too, actually, because we just, you know, we, uh, over the years it's always been the West team coming, right? And it makes, makes sense because they have more teams in the West. But it would be nice to, uh, you know – get rid of that narrative of, you know, the West is always dominant of the East. And, and you know, to be fair, it has been true, but it would be nice for the East to, uh, you know, kind of slap the West in the face a little bit.
1: And then we watch next off season when they immediately remove the crossover rule right. and say yes. they can, ne- it can never happen again. You watch, nah. that's exactly how this would happen. If we got an all Eastern gray cup, that's exactly what would happen. If we ever got an all Western gray cup. And to be fair, we kind of have when Winnipeg was in the East.
0: Yeah. We, we, they belong in the West.
1: They belong in the West, but Winnipeg was in the East. They went and it wasn't a big deal. But I'm telling you, if we ever got an all East gray cup, I think three days later, we'd be hearing, like I said, those Western elitists would all be like, well, this isn't fair and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And what I would love most about it is that whenever this happens, when a, when a bad, because this is the thing, if you finish fourth through division, you're not a very good team. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Even if you're eight and 10 or nine and nine, you're not a very good football team. We always heard, oh, the path through the East is is so much easier. The path through the East is so much easier, even for a team that's nine and nine, and it's never happened because going on the road and winning two playoff games is difficult. It would just be really funny if all those narratives just came. Cr- I wonder what those people would say if this if this was to happen, especially mm-hmm. if the team that crossed over from the East and won the Grey Cup. As much as I want to be him, I, that'd be, like, I don't know. It's just, this scenario tickles me so much. I really want it to happen.
0: And then we can have like an all East gray cup every year because uh, all the people in Southern Ontario just pack, you know, pop a huge rating on the gray cup <laughs> and like, we don't need those Westerners. Ah.
1: The gray cup, the gray cup gets 14 million viewers. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, well, I guess, yeah. I guess we can just, we'll we'll our, our four teams will, will Splinter off and separate via our own league No yeah, I just think league, yeah. I just think it'll be magic But I do think this is going to happen I do think an Eastern team I've been burned on this before We always talk at the Start of most seasons Where it's like This is the year the East catches up I don't necessarily think The East is catching up I think the West Outside of those top two yeah. teams Are just really bad And I don't I think Calgary's Got such a difficult And if they get to two and nine Even three and eight You're looking at that going Man that's a tough hole To dig out of Whereas like the East teams I don't know it's just what I'd like to see. So I'm going to be positive and go all in on that. All right, Mike, last thing today, it's game preview time. And this is a maybe as big a game as you could get at this time of year between two teams in the Ticats who will host the Montreal Alouettes next Saturday night at Tim Hortons field. Both teams enter this game after having won last week with the Ticats outlasting the Ottawa Redblacks 16 to 12. For our thoughts on that, go listen to we're live pal, which is up on the podcast feed right now. And the Owls doing the same, beating the Calgary Stampeders by a score of 25 to 18. The Ticats have yet to take the practice field as we discussed earlier this week, but we know it will not be boldly by Mitchell under center as we discussed earlier. And as I said earlier, I think my educated guess is that it will be Taylor Powell starting his second career game on Saturday night. These two teams met back in week three under somewhat similar, maybe bizarrely similar circumstances, as that too was the game following a bowl by Mitchell leg injury, which the Owls then handily won 32-12. to the outcome of this game, though, it has massive early season repercussions, An Alouette's win would clinch the season series for them against Hamilton, giving Montreal the leg up in any tie-breaking scenario for playoff seeding at the end of the year. A Ticats victory would then set up a winner-take-all tiebreaker in Week 21, and would also temporarily put the Ticats into second place and get them back to 500 for the first time since they were 0-0 and to start the year. The Owls have been a problem for the tabbies the last couple of years with Montreal winning four of the last five meetings between the two teams dating back to the start of the 2022 season. And Cody Figueroa has been a bit of a TICAT killer losing just once to Hamilton in his career as a starting quarterback. So lots of reasons to be skeptical that the tiger cats can win this one, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Mike, how can they do it? What do the Tiger cats need to do to pull off the win on Saturday night?
0: Well, we need the coaching to be get, to be better. We need in game decisions to be better. Uh, we need the offense to play well against a relatively weak Montreal defense. I mean, they're they're um, at the bottom of the league for many categories uh, defensively. So, I mean, we need to take advantage of that. Not defensively, sorry. Offensively, they're not very good at all. They're near the bottom of the league in rushing yards and rushing attempts and everything rushing. They can't run the ball very well. So we need to, uh, you know, take advantage of that and their their passing offense isn't very good either. So, you know, if we have a good game plan against this offense, we should be able to play well against them, but their defense on the other hand is is really good. So, we need a a good game plan on both sides of the of the ball. Offensively, we need to let, you know, Taylor Powell do his thing. You know, don't hold back. I hate this holding back. Like, he shouldn't be on the roster if he can't throw a pass. So Agreed. let him throw the damn ball. Like, I hate this offense where they're just so scared of everything. Let him rip it. Let him throw it downfield. What's the worst that can happen? You're not going to win games gaining two yards uh, every play on and then punting it. So let him run the offense. Let him do his thing. And we should be okay. So...
1: It's funny you mentioned the Owls defense. They have been really good. They, I think, they have three games this year where they haven't allowed a touchdown, including this game this past week against against uh, Calgary. But they didn't score an offensive touchdown against the Stamps either. The the margin of victory in that was seven points, but it came via a pick six. So you're right, Montreal's Owl, Montreal's offense has not been good either. I uh, like everything you said. I'm going to add to it. Uh, beat the piss out of Cody Fajardo. We saw yeah. him get knocked around a bit against Calgary. We know he's taken a beating this year. I'm not saying you got to knock him out of the game, but hit him and make him think about every throw he's going back there. Or every time he tries to take off and run, hit the snot out of him.
0: They can't you score touchdowns. F- they just can't. They're last in the no. league in, in touchdowns scored. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And 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 you think you're going to get better if Caleb Williams goes in there or not Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams, quarterback for USC, Caleb Evans. I mean, um, again, I'm not saying you have to <laughs> knock for Gerardo out of the game, but definitely make him feel as if this this is a game. They did not do that in the previous meeting, and they have to at this one. You got to limit the impact of of the two big receivers in Montreal, Kayon, Julian Grant, and Austin Mack. Like, they're going to get their touches. They're going to get their yards, but you need to find a way to not let them take over the game. And the big one, and this is kind of, doubling back on something we talked about at the top of the show tangentially with Bo's injury, stop taking stupid penalties. Bo got hurt because someone took an idiotic penalty and they had to do some weird QB sneak instead of kneeling the ball out at the five yard line. Stop beating yourself. Like I think the tie cats, they've been soundly beaten in a number of their losses this year, but I also think in a lot of cases they're doing, they're not a good enough team to overcome these types of issues where you let team stay on the field or you take a boneheaded penalty that backs you up, like stop doing those, like stop the self-inflicted wounds, stop shooting yourself in the foot. And perhaps a team like Montreal who has looked better than Hamilton, but right now the difference between them is one loss. And that's because the tie cats have played one more game. I don't see a ton of difference between these two teams. So yeah. And I, I want to touch on the, the Taylor Powell thing too. I hate just like you when they bring in a backup quarterback and they're afraid to let him play quarterback. Like you said, why is he on the roster if he if he if you don't want him to play the position that you brought him on the team to play? He went to not a big school, but he went to Eastern Michigan, that's a Division 1 school. He's thrown the ball before. He knows what he's doing. He's played some pretty good like CFL talent is better than any college program, no doubt about it. But he's played against some guys in the MAC that would be CFL players. So he can throw the ball, let him do his thing. He's, he's a little bit more athletic than, than you have and, and Bo, maybe not as athletic as Schultz. use some of the run game. James Butler was invisible again against uh, Ottawa, which was a little surprising for me, but maybe that's because Ottawa's past defense is so terrible. Let, uh, let James Butler get involved too. get him, get him involved. I just, I just think that this game sets up really nicely for them to get this win. And then they get to four and four. And we're sitting there going, okay, season's on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But don't coach scared. Don't play scared. Don't game plan scared. Let this kid cook. Let him do his thing. If he makes mistakes, what's the worst that can happen? You lose another game? Been there before. Like, no mm-hmm. one's expecting him to come in and set the world on fire.
0: But I mean, if it you could be no worse than him... five interceptions last uh, last game, right? Like, exactly.
1: well, that's just it. Yeah. So Taylor Powell throws three picks or two picks or five picks. It's like, Bo did the same thing and you didn't yank him, so let him go out there and do his thing and, and see what he can do. And if it doesn't work out, well, then you go find someone else. But if it does, like I said earlier, when we we're talking about who, what they should do at quarterback, maybe you found that that diamond in the rough and someone worth developing. But yeah, I just I just don't I don't want to see the David Watford game plan in this one. I don't want I don't want to no. see what we saw against the Argos either, where it was a lot of short stuff that didn't work until they were down by so much that he had to sling it and then look good. I'm hoping they watch the film on that and go. Oh, when we let him let it loose and, and last week we got really good play out of the offensive line. There's no reason why the offensive line can't hold up against Montreal's pastures. I know it's probably better than Ottawa's, but they can still do, they can, should still be able to hold up against them. I don't see why Taylor Powell can't go out there. And I'm not saying he's got to sling it around the yard 50 times for 500 yards or anything like that, but let him play quarterback. Don't coddle him or don't shorten the playbook because he's a rookie go let him play football and we'll, you deal with the outcome after that
0: yeah and absolutely I know you mentioned the uh you know beat up Cody Fajardo and we talk about it pretty much every week but I feel like it's even more important this week because you know you can rattle Fajardo and you know that Montreal doesn't have a rushing game. If you make them strictly throw the ball, Fajardo's going to make mistakes. And if you're in his face, Fajardo's going to make mistakes. They're the last in the league in rushing yards with only 403. They don't rush it much. They have they're last in the league with rushing attempts with 90 average gain, rushing They're last with 4.5. So and they how don't many, really not, have a not, run game.
1: Yeah, not Go to off. And how many of those rush yards are Fajardo's? Not And those are... Not designed runs. Those are QB scrambles. Like, mm-hmm. minus those from, from the the attack, too, and it gets even worse, I would think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, take away the run game because they don't really have one anyways. And, you know, Fajardo's looked better this year. I will admit that. He's probably, yep, you same. know, if he had a comeback player of the year, he might be at the top of that list uh, the way yep. that he played in Saskatchewan. But I still don't. Uh, I still don't trust him if he has to throw it, you know, that many times in the game, he's going to make some mistakes. And if he feels uncomfortable in the pocket, he's going to make some mistakes as well.
1: This would be a really good game. And I'm, I'm hoping to see it when I go to practice starting on Tuesday, this would be a really nice game to get Dylan win back for. Like, I don't know why he, he was put back on the six game. I honestly don't. I'm really hoping that when I sit down at Tim Horton's field next week or this week, uh, the times I get down there, that he's practicing fully and he's back for this game because that would hem in the Outlets run game even more and would add a dynamic player and maybe allow the pass rush to open up a little bit more. I think they had what, five, yeah. six sacks against Ottawa. So mm-hmm. and that that was a mobile quarterback in Dustin Crumb, maybe even more mobile than Cody Fujardo. Similar style quarterbacks, I'd actually say guys who maybe yep. don't have the biggest arm or aren't uh aren't the best at throwing the football, but I can see some similarities in their game. They did a really good job of keeping him in. Didn't allow a touchdown against Ottawa. I see no reason why, especially if you add a guy like Dylan Wynn in there, they can't do the same against Montreal and get this win. But I, this is a big game. I, I, it's not a must win because there's no such thing as must wins in, in July or August, but this could go, this could be one of those turning point games. If this team ends up being able to do something the rest of the season, even without Bow. This could be the one we look back on and go that went over Montreal at home that turned the entire season around. And this was the point of the season. Now I was expecting Bo to be here where I was starting to expect them to really sort of make the turn. Like this is where Mm -hmm. I was thinking, okay, they've had enough time together. They've gotten over some really difficult games. They've played Toronto twice. They've, they've played uh, Winnipeg. They've been on the road a couple of times. Like this was sort of the meat of the schedule. I was like, okay, this is where they can kind of get back into it. Maybe start to build some momentum for some games coming up after the Elks game in a couple of weeks where they play uh, BC and Toronto in back-to-back weeks, which will be a little bit more difficult, but this is where I thought that they would turn the season around. So off to a decent-ish start with a win in Ottawa. Winning this one, I think, could be a really big momentum changer.
0: Yeah, it would be massive. Get back to 500, and if we can just float around 500 until Bo comes back, and if Bo can, you know, play like Bo, like nine and nine, nine play. and nine.
1: With whether you cross over or not, nine and nine, you will make the playoffs this year,
0: without question. Yeah, yeah. So if we can hover around that five hundred mark until he gets back in the last five games of the season, maybe you know go on a, a four and one streak or something, we'll be looking pr- pretty good. But it's easier said than done, obviously.
1: It starts on Saturday. Then they got to get the W on Saturday, and then then we can have some much nicer conversations going forward. Uh, so that was Podski were for this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham, eat them raw. Eat them raw.